what we want to do is we want to talk to people about their past experiences and to reflect together on what they mean, what they have done, what they could have done better, and and that sort of stuff. And that's usually where a lot of these things come to light. Welcome to Design to Be Conversation, presented by Design to Be, and hosted by Design to Be founder, me, Rachel Weissman. Design to Be is a community that elevates designers to become empowered, educated, and effective using EQ-based tools and practices. Designers, we know it's essential to fine-tune our craft in order to lead or create real impact. Yet, what most of us don't focus on is our relationship with the craft itself. Throughout the design process, we might experience creative blocks, burnout, overwhelm, or conflict with team members or stakeholders. Design to Be aims to change that by helping to grow your EQ, by weaving authenticity, awareness, curiosity, empathy, fulfillment, meditation, resilience, trust, and much more into your design process. As designers, we love to do, we love to create, we love to reinvent, we love to uncover new solutions. What will make these creations, inventions, and solutions even more effective and unique are when we learn how to be. In this show, I have conversations with design leaders about how investing in their EQ has impacted their design career. In today's episode, I speak with Dennis Leonard, the CEO at Creative Navy and a digital product architect. He comes from a cognitive science background and has helped to shape and launch more than 150 digital products in industries such as healthcare, embedded interfaces, and enterprise. We dive into the concept of theory of mind, the importance of regulation of emotion in the workplace, the distinction between the what and why with emotions, as well as what to look for when evaluating a designer's EQ during the hiring process, and much more. Welcome, Dennis, to the show. Hello. Well, you've already introduced me. What I would add to that is that we are not a big UX studio, but we've been around for a very long time, more than 10 years now. And what we focus on is complex or difficult assignments. And we do that in the area of web, mobile, or embedded apps. So we don't have a preference for a platform, but we know that when someone's going to work with us, it's not going to be easy. And I feel like diving into our topic for today, I feel like usually when people hear of those, especially those really complex like UX kind of jobs, I feel like people that aren't in the world of UX aren't really thinking of okay, there's someone that's actually designing the interface for that car, or there's someone who's actually designing the interface for that boat or that medical device. But in like in your line of work, what would you say that EQ means to you? So EQ is an umbrella term that can mean uh, a lot of things. So when we talk about these ideas of emotions and how they affect things that we do, or how we want to manage the emotions of users in our work, we tend to be more specific. So we use concepts mm-hmm. like theory of mind or regulation of emotion. Because when we talk about emotions and the concept of trying to be purposeful about emotions, I think, I think that's sort of the, the key when it comes to EQ. 
we can make this distinction between awareness and management of one's own emotions. So that's how I monitor, evaluate, and modulate my emotions to basically perform better as a human being. That's one component. And then the other component is awareness and management of other people's emotions. And as designers, we have to do a lot of that because emotions underpin most of human behavior. So it's often the case that the decisions that we take or what we end up doing is heavily influenced by emotions. And emotions, in most cases, not all of them, but usually they um, precede cognition or they precede behavior. Yeah. Can you talk a bit more about, I have not heard, and this makes me really excited, like, yes, I've not heard of theory of mind or what was the second point you said? Emotional regulation. Emotional regulation. To me, that remind that's similar to like self-management. So theory of mind is more in line with self-awareness, you would say? Or how would you describe the theory of mind? The theory of mind tends to be something that relates to the other, so to someone else. And it's about people being able to basically understand other people. Empathy is part of that. So if I am able to put myself in someone else's shoes and to feel what I think they feel, Mm -hmm. that obviously helps a lot. Uh, in communicating with these people, interacting with them. But so does my capacity to understand what is going on in their mind. But again, we have this element of cognition, but cognition is heavily influenced by emotion. So you, it's, it's very difficult to separate. And we, you know, when we talk about things in theory, we try to make that separation. I think also when we just chat to our yeah. friends about our emotions and what we're thinking, we talk about them as if they're two very separate things, but actually... They're intricately connected in very complex ways that we're just beginning to understand as scientists. Mm -hmm. If you have the knowledge, can you talk about the relation between our emotions and our cognition and what's the relation there? I, I don't think I can do the subject justice, but for example, a preconceived notion is that there is this conflict where, you know, cognition or what we think is you know, sort of the antithesis of of emotion. And there's this fight between the two. And usually when something bad happens, emotion has won. That's that's how a lot of people think about this. But Mm -hmm. it's not really like that because as human beings, we always have emotions. So even if we are not aware of them or if they don't stand out because they're not particularly intense at a given point in time, they still exist and they shape the way we think. So for example... If we experience a certain degree of fear, let's say, or even a certain degree of enthusiasm, Mm -hmm. we will tend to do less uh, deep processing. So we'll be less analytical, we'll use less information to make up our minds as to what to do. And that's an example where the emotion is sort of like a platform that has the influence on the type of thinking we can actually perform. And then other times we do something that's called, so that's a top-down process where we try to use our thinking to regulate our emotions to reduce their intensity. So for example, when we get angry because perhaps we're, you know, we're a designer and someone has asked us to do something that is completely absurd and to a completely absurd deadline, we might get angry and then we try to think thoughts that are calming. Sometimes that works, but oftentimes you probably know that really well. It's not really that you think you know, think happy thoughts and it's going to be okay. You need to have a more complex approach 
in how you deal with your emotions to actually manage to regulate them. This is where monitoring your emotions is important, where evaluating them is important, and then actually trying to modulate them. That's a key skill in any type of job that you do, being able to manage your emotions. It's not specific to designers. But I would dare to say that for designers, it plays a particular role in their career and in what they can do. Because as a designer, well, if you want to be a good designer, you cannot be completely divested of emotion when you work. You need to care about things. Because if you don't care, you cannot do all the effort that is required to get to a good solution. That's because in design, I think people usually underestimate the amount of work and persistence that's needed to achieve even a satisfactory result. You know, usually you think it's, it's something of this size and it ends up being three times that <laughs> much. And, and, and that is a big challenge. So if you are able to self-regulate your emotion, you're going to be a better designer, especially when you think about it in the long term. Because if you do that for 10 years, it's a completely different result from, you know, what you can do in a day. So that's where the idea of emotion and how you deal with your own emotions is really critical, I would say, for the success of a designer in their career. Was there a specific point in your design career, and maybe you were just like fresh out of school and you were aware of your emotions, but was there a certain point in your career that you learned that it would be more beneficial to invest in this kind of education for yourself? And specifically in relation to your career? Well, when we, or when I started, but also when we started as a team, our, our background is, is cognitive science. So we knew already the importance of emotions and also some of the mechanisms that work there in the background. But uh, the interesting thing with emotion, for example, in the process of design is that sometimes it is just something you have to deal with on your own. And it's sort of your issue because you're a human being mm -hmm. and it's, it's normal for that yeah. to happen, but you have to be aware of that. But other times it can also be an indication that the process is not right or that something is not right in how some things are governed in the project. And that can happen often when it comes to design, because whenever you design something, you create something that's new. So it's difficult to say we're now starting on a journey and we have everything that we need and everything is going to be perfect. You don't really know. So it might be that when you experience certain types of emotion, you realize that actually something needs to change. And so while we started out in this process of designing things, being aware of the importance of emotions and so on, I think it took a while, probably one or two years to really start to be able to tell the difference. You know, when am I feeling something because it's just what I feel? When is it something where we need to change the way we work on this project or with regards to a particular task or just the way we do things in general? That's also where, you know, when we started, the field was in the very beginning and there were a lot fewer processes and tools and best practices and so on. So all those, I think, were refined by people who were able to make the distinction between what am I feeling and why am I feeling it? Yeah, that's a... It's a great distinction of the what and the why, and it garners a lot of self-awareness to be able to unpack those two, because it's easy to get caught for folks that don't have self-awareness. 
even though most people think that they do, but most people actually don't. It's hard to have that awareness of, okay, why am I feeling this rather than just being governed by yeah. how they're feeling? I find um, that awareness of oneself is not something that you gain and then you have it. It's something that you have to keep working on and then it continuously slips away, perhaps very much like your physical condition. Where, you know, mm-hmm. just exercising for a year, a year doesn't mean that you're going to be fit for the rest of your life, unfortunately. <laughs> no, there's, there's no super solution yet. Yeah, I, yeah, I feel like it's, it's very similar. It's this constant refinement and constant practice, since, especially in the lens of design or really any career, but specifically with design, there's all these new tools coming out all the time <laughs> and all these new best practices. And there's a lot of things that could, especially for more junior folks, it could feel a bit overwhelming to keep up with all of that. And so I feel like that's where this lens of self-awareness can come in of, whoa, that's kind of overwhelming. And why do I feel overwhelmed? And yeah, I I love that you called out the distinction between the what and why. I feel like it's very important for people to dive in and understand piecing apart those two. So I wanted to switch gears slightly. And the like main topic that we wanted to cover today was EQ in relation to the hiring process. So when you are hiring a designer, so you've had your own firm for quite some time. So you've hired, you have a lot of experience hiring many, many designers. And we spoke about this when we were chatting a bit over, over email. But when you're hiring for a designer, and specifically in relation to EQ, but it could be in relation to the hard skills and how those relate as well. What do you look for or what kind of questions do you ask or what kind of exercises do you have designers work through? to understand where their level of EQ is or if they have it, if they don't, or if it's more of a sliding scale? Yeah. Anything I say about it, I have to caveat a a little bit. So I I have to say that obviously when we hire people, we really strive to be as fair as possible and to make the best decisions. But hiring is a very tricky process. And it is tricky because... It's very difficult to find one thing or even a number of things that will predict someone's performance in the future. And it's also a process that must be efficient. So, you know, when we post an opening, we get hundreds and hundreds of applications. And obviously, they don't all receive the same level of attention. And so, for example, in the early phases, it's a lot about the hiring process is a lot about excluding those applicants uh, where we know there's there's no point in even doing an interview. That's true for any company. And so we look at their application. That means at the portfolio, first and foremost, because that gives us a sense of where they are approximately in their career and the types of things they have done. Um, that's just one initial thing. We But we also look at the way they apply, for example. Because sometimes it's, well, so, some people already give you clues without really wanting it, where, where you realize it's not really a good fit. So for example, I would say someone who doesn't really have theory of mind may send a blank email with a 50 megabyte attachment. That can have a number of reasons. It can be my, by mistake or, or, or all sorts of things, but it, 
also is a hint that this person doesn't really have the ability to understand or doesn't take the time to picture who you are as the receiver of that email. So mm-hmm. if they are to be a designer, being able to have that theory of mind is um, very important. That's what you could do in the early phases. And that's where this element of emotion and the ability to have empathy plays a role. In the later phases, when we talk to people and when we have interviews with them, we go through their portfolio, for example. And there we want them to explain to us how they have arrived at what they have created. Also, you know, mentioning the methods, what the process was, the challenges they have faced and how they have overcome them and so on. Here, there isn't really one specific exercise or question that tells you about someone's ability to manage their emotions or to understand the emotions of others. But uh, you do get glimpses of that from how they talk to you about what they have created. So, for example, someone who has been mindful of the user's emotion should be able to explain what they are, what the emotions they expect users to feel when they interact with something and how that helps or hinders the experience. Because, for example, with some interfaces, you want to elicit certain emotions in the process, while with others, you may not want to have any emotion. And you might actually make an effort to create an interface that's as bland as possible from an emotional perspective. For example, when you create uh, an interface for a car, you don't really want people to feel things. They just need to understand where things are and keep driving straight. So designers who are who use emotions in their process usually are able to explain how that works. Some do that mm-hmm. better than others. But that is a hint that someone really understands how things work at an emotion level in design. Mm-hmm. Then there's this other aspect of being aware of your own emotions and how you deal with them, where I think most people can talk about that. So most people have to deal with that one way or another. But then you have people who, where, where you see that they have a difficult time dealing with emotions that they experience in the design process, while other people are very good at evaluating what they feel and taking that and sort of evolving uh, as a professional and as a designer who can regulate their emotions. And we look for these things because they are an important precondition for someone to be a successful designer. So, you know, when we hire someone, there are lots of skills that are imperfect and they they evolve continuously throughout someone's career. But it is important for us to have confidence that someone can arrive at a particular level of skill in a year or two, let's say. While with something like your ability to regulate your emotions and to handle those, we don't really have the expectation that we can do a lot for someone over the course of a year or two, because that's a longer journey. And that's something where the methods aren't as as well-refined as with actual design skills. So that is why I think a lot of designers are losing out, because they, they haven't reached the maturity at this level of emotions. So a couple points ago, you alluded to the... There are certain cases where designers will have to create experiences that solicit zero emotions, like the car example. And then there's other other experiences that folks create where they would need to elicit many emotions. And I feel like that is that's on like one end of the spectrum of okay, as a designer, I need to design certain kinds of emotions. 
designed for certain kinds of emotions. And then on the other side is being aware of how you interact and collaborate with your fellow designers who you're working with or your PM or the engineers and that whole lens of collaboration. In the course of the hiring process, are there certain things that you look for in that like internal lens of when collaborating with folks and how like regulating the mind or any aspect of emotional intelligence shows up? That is a very important criteria that we look at. And again, it's something where people tend to lose out or to win because we don't necessarily take the view that it's something we can work on as, as a company for for applicants. But why do you think it's something that as a company you can't work on for applicants? Well, we think we can help them, but the contribution that we can make, I think, is, is small for mm-hmm. someone who is very far away from where we would yeah. want them to be. And I think that is for a number of reasons. On the one hand, I think the methods to actually help people with that are still being developed. Mm-hmm. So it's difficult. It, we, we cannot really predict the outcome. So mm-hmm. we are not able to say, okay, this person needs that intervention for two months and then it's going to be fine. We, we don't have that certainty. But also I think it's um, more difficult to measure progress. So it would be difficult mm-hmm. for us to see that someone is making progress. While it's with mm-hmm. something like, you know, we, I don't know, your skills to create a wireframe, let's say, it's easier to see that. It's very output focused and it's like, did they do the wireframe yes. or not? Exactly. But coming back to this point of how designers interact with others, that is a very important thing. And it really depends on the organization you are in, because for example, in our case, designers usually tend to work with other designers in our team and with our PM and less so with a customer. So that means Mm -hmm. they have a certain degree of freedom to sometimes behave in unusual ways, let's say. So they they can get away with a lot more things because we we are a close-knit team and so we know what things mean Mm -hmm. when someone says or does something. And, And that is a good thing because it affords people freedom. But oftentimes when you are in a more formal organization, you don't have that luxury. And oftentimes you are put in a situation as a designer to do the work of others, I think. So someone like product manager, where you have to lobby for Mm -hmm. certain ideas and to create alliances and to be very mindful of the emotions of others, you know, the board, uh, all sorts of stakeholders and so on. And I think it is a little bit unfair to put that on designers because designers should, they should observe the emotions of others, but I don't think they should really be involved in meetings as someone who, who needs to regulate other people's emotions. But the reality is that in many cases, you do have to do that. So developing the ability to mm-hmm. do that, which, where again, theory of mind is what I would call that, is very mm-hmm. important. And it is definitely something that's predictive of success. And I think if you are looking for a job, there will be a lot of people who want to hire you and they won't tell you that they are looking for someone of a particular character so that they can stand up to other people and so that they can influence them. But actually that's what they will be looking for. Yeah. I feel like it falls under the bucket of like facilitation skills in my day to day. It's like, that's definitely a skill that is valued of, we have these big brainstorming meetings that are very much cross-functional 
and there are stronger personalities than others. And I completely agree a lot of times it is put on the shoulders of the designer or maybe the sprint master or whoever is guiding this brainstorm or workshop or what have you, which is often a designer. So yeah, understanding how to manage those different types of emotional people is very much a a valued skill. What during during the interview process, how do you parse for how folks would interact in those kinds of situations? Like, are there certain questions you ask or um, exercises that you have folks work through? We we tend to structure our interviews more like a conversation. So we talk about things, they talk about things. And um, on the one hand, we want to share information so that they know Mm -hmm. what they're getting into. But also that creates sort of a platform where they can see that we are designers, that we understand what they have gone through previously and so on. So it's okay for them to share and open up because what we want to do is we want to talk to people about their past experiences and to reflect together on what they mean, what they have done, what they could have done better and and that sort of stuff. And that's usually where a lot of these things come to light. And here, I would like to make a distinction between this idea of someone being, say, competent with emotions, so theory of mind, mm-hmm. being able to self-regulate and so on. And then you know, the completely different thing is social skills, I would say. Because sometimes mm-hmm. you can have people who are very nice and they're extrovert and they talk nicely and they are charismatic and they say all the right things, all the textbook answers and so on. Where on this element of um, you know everything that relates to to emotions, you might score them highly. You would say this is all brilliant. If someone would get all the, the perfect marks, you would say, hmm, actually, you know what? This is probably something where we have perceived things um, erroneously because it cannot be that great, and we have probably not gotten a good reading. So that means we we cannot be confident about this particular mm-hmm. applicant. This is not perfect because sometimes it's really our failure to to interpret interpret what someone says. But the point is that when we are able to have heartfelt conversation where people open up about the experiences they have had with the good and the bad, and we can reflect on those, we get more confidence in someone's ability to handle their own emotions or to integrate them into design work. And here, there are some people who stand out who are very, very self-centered. I would say it's... Mm -hmm. That's definitely the worst thing you can do in any hiring process. I would say being self-centered, so always making it about what's in it for me, what have I done before, how great am I, uh, and so on. I think some people might do that because they just think that that is what they have to do, but then they they cannot really inspire confidence. It's better to hear someone who has a lot of self-doubt, which is honest, but also who has the reflective skills to understand how they can do better based on that, because then they're probably going to evolve a lot more than someone who thinks that everything is about them or that everything they do is right. So this is, it's important. Social skills or, you know, being an extrovert doesn't guarantee that things are, are okay in this area. And also being an introvert and having a lot of self-doubt doesn't mean that people, or at least we wouldn't think that you're not good when it comes to emotions. Completely. Diving into that a bit further. So in my own research of EQ, there's 
and from like the many books and things that I and things that I've read, there's four distinct pillars of EQ. So there's self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and relationship management. And the self the self-awareness and even a little bit of self more self-awareness, I feel like is completely completely aligned with the theory of mind and that feels more aligned with maybe like the introvert, like maybe they're self-aware, but they're not as like open out of their shell. So they might not be as socially aware, but maybe the extrovert is very socially aware, but not too (laughs) self-aware. So it's a balance of, and it's not saying like all extroverts are not self-aware and all introverts are not socially aware. I feel like it's more saying that there are these distinct parts of one yourself and two others around you that at its core, it is self-awareness, but certain skills might be easier for different designers based on their own makeup and what they've invested in either intentionally or unintentionally. And then of course, in the hiring process, there's a lot of conversation about the actual designs that they have created. So where we discuss the portfolio they have had. And there we what we are looking for is people who put a lot of effort into the design, into the design thinking. So trying to be organized about the design decisions they make and then really gathering as much information as possible to make those decisions and understanding uh, the extent to which those decisions are incomplete. Because as a designer, sometimes you have to design something in a particular way and there is not enough information for you to make the best decision, in which case you have to do something. And as long as you are cognizant of the limitations of of what you have done, that is okay, because then you can manage that into the future. But if you're oblivious of that, or if you just make decisions on the fly, or if you, you know, by the way of self-regulation, if you just do something because you, you like it, and then find the justification for that, not really purposeful design, and uh, it's going to hurt the users. Mm. So this is where the two dimensions we've just discussed interact in the process of creating and design. And there are some, sometimes you get assignments where you, I think as a designer, especially when you're starting out, you cannot integrate that kind of thinking into your work. So some folks have examples to give where they've put a lot more effort into it than others. But again, mm-hmm. this end of being aware of the limitations, even being able to explain that in this particular project, mm-hmm. I ignored these facts and I know they could have done these things, but for some reason I didn't is already a starting point. It's that, that shows us that, okay, this person is aware of these things. And perhaps if they had the right context, which, which we hope to be the right context for people to do good design, mm-hmm. then maybe they would um, be able to evolve and to do better. Yeah. Yeah. So much. I feel like I completely, I completely resonate with what you're saying. And I feel like so much of, like awareness is so at the core of what designers do, of understanding the constraints that are defined and the constraints that are assumed and the hypotheses that you need to make and the assumptions you need to make. And like all of that really boils down to what are you aware of within the current scope of, of that project? Yeah. This is also where... I think as a designer, it's very difficult to deal with other people's preconceptions about design because everybody sees design. So because they see it, they think they know about it. 
Mm-hmm. It's the complete opposite. <laughs> every, every everyone's a designer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or at least they think they are a good judge of 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 design, and uh, that is most certainly not the case. So, as a designer, you constantly face this challenge, and I think most people you interact with, or the people, the most difficult people you can interact with, are those who think that good design comes about just out of nothing, and that it's really all just about mm-hmm. a few design patterns. This these ideas become more and more common, and uh, it makes it difficult for designers to get people to understand all the work that needs to happen to get to the point where the design is good or where it fulfills certain objectives. And the truth of the matter is that, so if you are if from if you set out on this journey just wanting to enact a few design patterns, then the results are very predictable, and you can say, we're you know, you have a particular plan with what you're going to do every day and that's what's going to happen and it's fine. If on the other hand, you do real design where you actually figure out a problem to uh, a solution to a problem that nobody really understands, you com- venture into the unknown. So you have absolutely no idea about what's going to happen. And obviously, someone like a product manager or a CEO or anybody else would not really like to hear that you're venturing into the unknown. So the ability to manage people's emotions about that, you know, giving them a sense of how flexible or rigid things are, and also helping them mm-hmm. discover the universe step by step and to find the way in this in this darkness is very important. And there you have to manage people's emotions really well. And you have to manage your own emotions because you don't know when the breakthrough is going to come. You know, is it going to come tomorrow and everybody's going to say you're a great designer or you know, are you heading down two weeks where everybody thinks you're insane and there's nothing to show and then only will you have a result? It's uh, mm-hmm. very difficult to manage your emotions in that context. Completely. And on the inverse of that, I even feel like some some designers venturing into that unknown might feel stressful or intimidating or maybe a domain that they don't particularly like. And that's also where the awareness and the regulating of emotions very much can come in to be a bit more at ease in the moments of complete, I don't know what's going to happen. And that's amazing. (laughs) Yes, it's exciting. Beautiful. So I'm going to transition a bit and we'll, we're going to start to wrap up a bit. Diving back into your personal EQ practice, is there anything that you do on a consistent basis? So we talked about at the beginning that similar to working out, if you work out just one year, um, it's not going to make you be super strong or flexible or anything forever. Um, it's a constant practice and EQ is very similar. So is there anything that you do on a regular basis to help keep your specifically design EQ in a sharp place? I think there are many small things that I, so I don't really have a program for that, but uh, I think a key ingredient is continuing to learn about emotions. So that one element there is self-reflection and practicing self-awareness, but it's also really a matter of going out and looking at the literature and what we discover as scientists about emotions, because that is very, very instructive. You know, that's how you learn, for example, that you are hungry, you can completely forget about managing your emotions. It's not going to happen. Go have a sandwich or a, a baguette, as the French like to do, and then then you can have a conversation about anything. It's a small detail, but it is 
it is important. So this element of being healthy in general is um, is helpful. Also, I think it has an impact on emotions. Also, I think we are spoiled as designers who work in an agency, uh, especially an agency where we practice evidence-based design and where a lot of folks come from a cognitive science background because there is generally a lot of awareness of that. And we, we talk about these things, especially when it comes to users and what we're trying to create in an interface. So it's part of our culture. You know, When that is part of your culture, things are a lot easier. So for example, the personas that we create are actually an exercise in theory of mind. So where we really try to understand emotions, needs, where we try to take a lot of data, which is which relates to needs and emotions, but it is abstract, and we try to make it humane and relatable through persona. That is very, very good practice. And also the fact that we have different projects where the industries that you work in or the types of applications we design for change continuously, I think that is very helpful, having that exposure to a lot of different people and the different mindsets and trying to understand those. That, I think, keeps us as sharp. But I think practicing self-awareness is definitely the starting point for, for everything because until you're aware of something, you cannot really do anything about it. And then the other thing is really practicing your skills in evaluating yourself, others, users, and so on. There you have to be continuously critical about the methods that you use and to try to improve them continuously. Um, this also ties back into what you mentioned in the beginning where we said that, well, it's not that you have awareness or that you have an ability to deal with emotions and then it's it's there forever. Uh, you may think you're doing great and then discover that actually over the past year, something has deteriorated because you haven't practiced a particular skill, let's say. You know, particularly, I would mm -hmm. say this year, which has meant a lot of change, it has also meant, I think, a lot of change in habits that we didn't even know that we have. We might discover that we've lost some things when it comes, especially when it comes to dealing with people, because we have had uh, less of that. Practicing that awareness is, is definitely a very important thing to do, and you need to do that continuously. Thank you. Um, and the last question we'll, we'll end with is say someone listening to this and they're maybe very skeptical about still investing in their emotional intelligence. And I feel like we've hinted around this question and in many ways you've answered it, but in a more in like a concise way, why would you say EQ or regulation of the mind or however um, specific or vague you'd want to be? Why do you think it's a necessary skill for designers? Let me perhaps start from two reasons why someone would be skeptical. Because mm -hmm. one, one idea would be that, okay, I, I am what I am. I am a particular way. I cannot change that. So whether I'm good or bad, I can't do anything. My emotions are out of control. It is what it is. That is only true to a certain extent. And mm -hmm. if you continuously practice and, and work on yourself, even if some of the methods that you use turn out to be not effective, mm -hmm. trying methods, trying to work on yourself will definitely bring about change. And it's not just change that will be good for your career. It will really have a huge impact in your life. It will make you happier. It will make you a better person. And it will make the others around you happier. So I don't know why someone would not want to do that. And the other reason why <laughs> someone would be skeptical, they might say, well, I'm, I'm so great. I don't need to do anything. 
and maybe that is true to a certain extent. I'm, I'm guessing people who, who think that of themselves have had experiences that taught them that they're doing really well. Mm-hmm. But the funny thing is that as human beings, we are so small and so fragile and so imperfect that compared to you know, what you could do in this world, I'm sure that everybody has the ability to, or, or has the need to grow at least a few thousand times, which is not going to happen. But even if you improve, to a certain extent, it's worth it. And as designers, what they will learn, I think, is that they will find more joy in their work because they will be able to create mm-hmm. interfaces that are more purposeful. And where they mm-hmm. feel that all that effort they have put into the work, all that, uh, you know, all those difficult moments where they felt like maybe giving up, but where they pursued perfection are actually worth it because they, they lead to something that is deliberate. They lead to something that is predictable and that has a real effect on users. And also when they deal with other people, they will discover that things work better if they have better control of emotions. So the effect Mm -hmm. of that will be that they will have an easier time being designers and interacting with others. Beautiful. Thank you. So we're going to start to wrap up and where can say people are, maybe they're, they live in London or maybe you're offering remote jobs or they're interested in learning more about you or Creative Navy. Where could folks find you? Well, we have a distributed team all over Europe. So where someone is based is not really important to us. Obviously, they can find us on creativenavy.com or also on our Instagram, which is Creative Navy. And we're, we're happy to be in contact with anyone. Uh, you know, to be in touch and to work with other designers to make life easier for everyone. Amazing. Thank you so much for the time today, Dennis. I really enjoyed our conversation. And for everyone listening, thank you for listening and we will talk to you soon. Thanks also for having me, Rachel, and also for doing everything that you do. I think you're pioneers in this field and I think your work is much needed. There are really a lot of people with a lot of talent and a lot of the perseverance and everything that it takes to be a good designer, but who could really use some improvement when it comes to how they manage their emotions. And um, I think it's it's really worth for people to put an effort into that. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's something I'm, I'm very passionate about. So I'm excited to continue to share these conversations and different avenues with the Design to Be community. That wraps up another episode of Design to Be Conversation. Thanks so much for listening. If you are curious for more ways to invest in your EQ, to be a more empowered, educated, and effective designer, head over to designtobe.com. That is D-E-S-I-G-N-T-O-B-E.com. You can take our design process EQ quiz or sign up for a newsletter to receive the latest Design to Be community building, live offerings, and self-inquiry guidance directly to your inbox. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you may listen. Be sure to share this podcast with a fellow designer who's interested in investing in their EQ. And again, thanks so much for listening.